worship here because uh, one thing about our worship here is consistency. It doesn't matter if there's the house is packed out. It doesn't really matter if it's a shouting service or one of the quieter services. There's always a presence here in the midst of the worship here, man. And that's something that, uh, you know, through worship, God will minister to us and talk to us on an individual level. And, and I love getting together and just sometimes just standing in the worship, just standing in his presence. And, uh, you know, God's been so good to us, man, in, in the ups and the downs. I'm, I'm going to be in uh, Hebrews chapter 12 tonight. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And I just want to minister to you out of, uh, out of some things God's been showing me in my heart. And, and hopefully it will be a help and a blessing for us all. But uh, Hebrews, the 12th chapter, starting at verse 1. It says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, for who, for, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds." And I saw this, and, and I saw that he said to run our race, and to run our race with patience. The word patience here means endurance. And the one thing I'm thankful about is that the Word of God will always remain consistent and constant in our lives. I'm glad that, that when family members pass away unexpectedly, the Word of God will be your source and your hope and your strength through that situation. I'm glad when the finances may not be coming in like they need to come in. I'm glad the Word of God remains faithful and remains a standard and tells us how to get increase and in productivity in our lives. I'm glad when it seems like all of hell is against us and comes against us that the Word of God has been our standard that, that we can stand upon and we can live by. And no matter the situation, knowing that the situation cannot change me and the situation cannot control me, but my standard, my life is built on the Word of God. He said to run our race with endurance and with patience. And a lot of times, I don't know about you, but I've started to run a race and I've started a thing and I've become weary along the way. I've fallen, I've slipped up, I've, you know, taken a stumble, I've fallen down. Sometimes I've needed help up. I'm glad though a righteous man falls, he always gets up eight times if he falls down seven. Amen. But it says there that we walk and we run our race with patience, with endurance. Running the race, meaning this, is that one thing that I've learned and one thing I've really had my eyes opened up to recently is that every one of us really do have a race. And the thing about the race is this, is that all of our races are different with the same goal and the same prize in mind. All of us have a different place in the body. And so what happens is as we run this race, we've got to be careful not to judge someone else's race based on the standards that, that conduct our race. Are you hearing me? 
And so what happens sometimes is as we're running our race, my race may be to be an evangelist, and I'm trying to judge your race as a missionary based on the, the things that God has called me to do. And so before I know it, in the body of Christ, there's a division between me and Bo because I'm trying to judge him based on the thing God's called me to do. And now my eyes are off of my race, and my eyes are on his race, judging him by my race, and it's making me stumble, and it's making me fall when in reality if I would run my race with patience and run my race with endurance it would be ran based on a word of God that was given to me and based on scripture that I find in the Bible. See, because what we, what we do in the body of Christ is we like to judge people uh, in the church just like we do in the corporate world. You don't, you, we, we try to hold people up to a sales quota. I'm a salesman. I am telling you there is always a number breathing over my neck. I, I ended up being the number one sales rep in my group at the end of the first quarter. The first day of the second quarter, I was getting phone calls asking me what in the world I was going to sell for that very quarter. I was a hero one day, and one day went by, and I became a zero. But we've got to be careful not to judge the body of Christ just like corporations judge us based on a number, based on how many days you've spent in church, based on how many times that you've done outreach, based on how many times you've done a work. Yes, we work. Yes, we do things. Yes, we put our hand to the plow. But that is not what defines our race. We have to run our race with endurance and run our race with patience and run our race, the Bible tells us here, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Bishop dropped a nugget Sunday morning, and I hope that we heard it. If you didn't, go back and listen to it because there was a lot of prophetic utterance Sunday morning as he ministered. He said that God is the author and the finisher of our faith. Which means God, who is not bound to time, can step down into our limitation of time and be at the beginning of a thing and yet also be at the end of a thing and be with us while we're going through a thing. Meaning that God can be with you and orchestrate a thing the entire time. Meaning that God goes before us making crooked places straight. And just like the children of Israel who were led and they followed a cloud by day and a fire by night. When that cloud by day and fire by night came to the Red Sea, the Bible says that the sea parted and the children of Israel walked through that crooked place straight. But that cloud went from the front of them to the back of the congregation and protected them from anything trying to sneak up against them and take them down from behind. The presence of God and the anointing of God and the plan of God that's applied to your life and my life during our race is just that. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the cloud by day and the fire by night that can lead me through my race, but he's also got my back that nothing can come up behind me. Why? Because He's already at the end of the thing that he's asked me to go to. He's already commissioned me at the beginning of the thing that he's called me to do. And surely if he's at the beginning and surely if he's at the end, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Surely he'll never leave me nor forsake me. Surely he'll be with, a, with me like a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Surely he'll be my help in my high tower. Surely he'll be my buckler and my shield. Surely he'll be my way maker while I'm going through the 
mess. I may have to go through the Red Sea and go through the mess, but he is the author and the finisher of my faith. He began the thing he called me to do. He will end the thing he called me to do, and he will anoint me throughout every single step, no matter what comes against me in the process, the end result I will make if he's began a good work in you, he will perfect it until the day of the Lord. God is good. He's for us. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. It says there that for the joy of the cross, he despised shame. For the joy of the cross. Isaiah chapter 53 says that it pleased the Father to bruise the Son. That will mess with your humanistic mind if you look at that. That that the cross, the suffering of the cross, pleased Jesus. It gave him joy. And that God was pleased by bruising his Son. This is why. Because since he is the author and the finisher of our faith, since he began a thing before the world began, he called forth his son to come into the world to be a sin offering for us before the foundations of the world, he began a thing. He also finished a thing because he knew the end result. And so it was okay to go through the process because Jesus knew by going through the process, he would reap a harvest that was bigger than what he sowed. See, we've got to understand that in the kingdom, everything operates off of seed, time, and harvest. Everything. Everything operates off of seed, time, and harvest. And understand God the Father created seed, time, and harvest, and he understood seed, time, harvest. And so all God did was he created man and he lost humanity because they rebelled and committed treason against the Father. So God knew in order to get them back, he would have to put into motion seed, time, and harvest. And he took his only begotten son, his one singular son, his one relative, his one and only, just like him. And he took him and he placed him on the earth as a seed. They found a seed this week that is over 30,000 years old. And the outside of the seed is still dead, but on the inside of the seed it's still alive. The only reason that seed has never produced fruit is because it's never been planted into the ground. Because when you plant a seed into the ground, it must die before it lives and brings life. Before an apple tree will produce apples year after year after year, it starts with a seed that is placed in the ground and the seed dies and begins to germinate and take root. And over time, it doesn't look like it's going to be much. Come visit it 50 years from now. Because that thing's so big, it's, that's what the Bible says our faith is like. It's like the grain of a mustard seed that if it's planted, it will grow. And by the end of the thing that God's called you to do, it will be so big that people are taking a rest and finding shade underneath its branches. Birds are building houses up in its, up in its limbs. But Jesus was a seed and the Father gave us the seed who was planted into the heart of the earth. And he died and was planted in the heart of the earth. And the Bible says that when he rose, he 
led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. To lead captivity captive means he led bondage into bondage. He put bondage itself into bondage. He put chains on bondage itself so that under the authority of Christ, bondage cannot attach itself to me because bondage is bound from touching my life because there was a seed that was sown. What did God do by sowing the one seed Jesus has only begotten? He reaped a harvest called the kingdom of God. You and I are joint heirs with Jesus and heirs of the Father. We are seated in Christ in the heavenly places. Where is he? At the right hand of the Father. Where am I? At the right hand of the Father. You may not like that I'm there, but that's exactly where I'm at. Where I'm at. Because he planted a seed, he received an entire harvest. He's received millions of people back into, into his family because he planted a seed. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. God knew that by going through the process, by going through the thing, though he did not cause the thing to happen to us, though he did not send the thing, bad thing that did happen to us, that through the process, he knew the end result, we would still get there. I don't know about you, but I can look back over my life and say, had I not gone through that thing, things I would never want to go through again because they hurt so bad. But had I not gone through that thing, I wouldn't have met this person. If I wouldn't have met that person, they wouldn't have asked me to go here. And if I wouldn't have gone here, I would have never met my wife. And if I would have never met my wife, I wouldn't have had my children. And then we wouldn't have got born again and in church and filled with the Holy Spirit. And there's so many things that you want to go through that you want to skip the process on. You want to completely override and go through the process. But Jesus says, says here about Jesus that, that he endured the suffering of the cross because of the joy that would come out of it. The father was pleased to bruise his son because he knew by bruising his son, he would gain an army. He would gain a family. He would gain all authority back and place it in th- throughout mankind in the earth. It says, and then it says this, it says, do not... Get your eyes off of these sayings. Don't get your eyes off of Jesus. Don't get your eyes off of what he did for you. Don't get your eyes off of who you are because of him. Because it's then when you'll get weary. And it's then when you'll faint. See, if your eyes aren't on Jesus when you begin to do things for God, even the church folks sometimes will come against you and try to read your mail and try to put you down. The world will always do it, but sometimes even the church folks, because when you start having some favor with God and God starts doing some things in your life and other people are still sitting on the same pew they've been sitting on for 20 and 30 years and they don't like the fact that God's promoting you within the kingdom, people get mad. And what they want to do is instead of getting themselves back on their race and stop judging you in your race according to their race and being feeling guilty and condemned and all that because they're not walking their race, what happens is, is they begin to talk about you. They begin to make little snide remarks about you. They begin to to kind of distance themselves away from you. Anytime they get a moment to say one little bad, harsh thing about you, that's exactly what they'll do. And they'll do it because they're too lazy to run their own race and they don't want to be embarrassed by the fact God's moving you and promoting you and blessing you. And what they want to do is pull you back down to their level when God wants to take us from glory to glory, level to level, and faith to faith always growing, always going forward, always increasing. The Bible says that God's will for me is to increase me and bless me in every area of my life. 
that in everything I abound, that I abound in everything, that everything I put my hand to is blessed. God wants to do that for me. So we got to stop being haters when people are following the race and running the race God's called them to do. Man, if you're not running your race, that's on you. Tie your shoes up and go. And let the word be your standard. Stop worrying about the people. Stop worrying about the people. I heard this this week uh, just in my prayer time, and it, it kind of messed me up. I, I was looking, and I just read about Mary, how she had been uh, given, impregnated by the Holy Spirit. And she says, how can this be, seeing that I don't know a man? How, how is this going to happen, seeing that I don't know a man? And what had happened is God himself breathed her destiny and she had that divine appointment with God. That moment where he speaks into her life and he says, this is the course that I want you to travel down in your life. I want you to be the earthly mother of the son of God. I want you to nurture him. I want you to protect him. You're going to be highly favored and blessed among all women. This is your destiny. And she says, how am I going to get to my destiny without a man? That's what she asked. And God quickly reminded her, this thing isn't of a man. It's not of flesh and blood. This thing is done by the Holy Ghost. And I just want to tell some people tonight this. I hope it helps you because it helped me. At some point in your life, you've got to know what God called you to run and what race it is. And yes, God uses people to get you from point A to point B. And we need relationships. But if they're not for you and they can't help you get to your destiny, you should probably cut them off and get them out of your way. Because you don't need a signed and sealed letter saying that you're qualified for ministry when the Holy Ghost has said you are qualified for ministry. You don't need the bishop of the church of God to anoint you when the Holy Ghost has anointed you. Your gift will make room for itself. And so what we've got to stop doing at some point, yes, try to get people into your vision, but if they're against your dream, if they're against your calling, if they're against the purpose God has placed in your heart, don't give them credit. Let me tell you why. Because when God said this is not of a man, do you understand she had the potential for something else to happen to that seed that was placed within her? If God places a pregnancy within my spirit and it takes Pastor CT to birth that thing, then it will not take the, the characteristics of the father. It will take the characteristics of that father. Because what happens is when we get man involved in what God has called us to do and who God has called us to be, it will always act and mimic the father. And that is the problem that has come into the church is that you've got preacher trying to be like this preacher in competition against this competition and singer against this singer and denomination against this denomination. And the problem is God's trying to birth a thing in the church that he has impregnated it with and we're trying to give it a surrogate father and birth it through fleshly hands. 
This thing that God has called you and I to do, no matter what it is. If it would be to clean this church, run your race with endurance. Run it because you're preparing a place for a drug addict to come into on a Sunday morning by chance one day. And stand in the presence of an anointed worship experience. And feel for the first time in their life a presence that touches their heart that no drug has ever touched. And then they're going to have an opportunity to be ministered to. Whether they're children, teenagers adults or seniors, any age, any generation, they're going to have an opportunity to be ministered to. They're going to feel loved when you shake their hand coming in. Jim, they're going to love the fact that you gave them candy when they walked in and just took a little bit of time to go and acknowledge them and treat them different. Run your race because your race matters and your race makes a difference. Run your race with patience. Run your race with endurance. And don't worry about what anyone else has to say about it. I don't care if they call you the crazy, the crazy guy, just go ahead and be the crazy blessed guy. Because God will bless you. He's anointed you. I don't believe I could stand in, I mean this guys, I'm not saying this as a joke. I can take a hat and I can pass out candy. But I cannot touch people the way that Jim touches people when they come through the door. I can't do it. Run that race. It's okay. He's not up here with a microphone, but that's okay. That's your race. Run it. Run it with endurance. Run it with patience. Run it to the best of your ability because you're doing it for Jesus. And by doing it for Jesus, you're setting an atmosphere to change lives. I'll end on this. James, I'm a big, especially military history buff. I love it, and I was reading on, you remember 1992 when President Clinton was running against Daddy Bush, and uh, you had Ross Perot in there as the third party? Well, they all had vice presidential candidates, and Ross Perot's vice presidential candidate was Vice Admiral James Stockdale. I loved Vice Admiral James Stockdale, loved the man. He was a no-nonsense, cutthroat Right down the middle, you knew exactly where he stood. He was my kind of guy. I loved him. Wasn't scared of the questions. He, I saw him in a debate one time, and he stopped the guy, the mediator. He stopped him and said, first thing you need to do, sir, is stop trying to trap me and get me up into a corner. I will answer the question this way and just threw it right back and took it in the right direction. Loved him. But I'm reading his autobiography, and, and I'm reading this interview that had happened with him. And, and it's so amazing. There is a statement that I came across and read that has absolutely changed every area of my life. Vice Admiral James Stockdale was a captain in the Navy. He was a pilot, a fighter pilot during the Vietnam War. At the beginning of the Vietnam War, he was shot down over North Vietnam, and he became a prisoner of war for seven and a half years. For the seven and a half years, four of the seven and a half years, he was held in solitary confinement, isolated from everybody and everything. When he crashed, he broke his leg, his left leg, his, his femur. And the North Vietnamese were some of the, um, they were like the Roman soldiers of the time. I mean, they invented ways to torture our POWs and torture their own and, and a, very, uh, a very horrible people at the time. And what they would do is they would uh, begin to torture uh, James Stockdale and all of, his, all of his soldiers that were underneath him because James Stockdale was the highest ranking officer in the POW camp. So there were times, man, when they would take that broken leg and to try to get information out of him, they would take it and just begin to twist it, completely twist it and re-break it. 
I mean, they were, there were some gruesome, horrible things that I won't even mention up here, but I mean, you can imagine. I mean, horrible things that I couldn't even believe. I read. I would have never even thought in my mind it could have been done. And James Stockdale said what they would do after that is there would come a time when, and you've all seen the videos, the, the propaganda videos where they take our American soldiers and stand them up in front of a camera and they're made to read off a piece of paper. The North Vietnamese are treating me well. Everything's great. They're treating us fairly. All oh, they love us. Everything's fine. Those were all propaganda because they were really torturing our men. I, stay with me. I promise I'm getting to a point. And so as they were tortured, they would go and they would say, all right, it's time to go clean them up tomorrow. And so then they knew that it was that day that they would get cleaned up, stand before a camera, and have to lie to the world about their treatment. Seven and a half years dealing with that. Four years dealing with that in solitary confinement just to be brought out and have to lie for fear of your life. And he stood there before the camera and it was time for him to get in front of the camera. And they put him in a little holding cell. John Stockdale was sitting on a wooden bench and he took that bench and he broke it and he grabbed a board from it and he beat himself up. Beat himself senseless. And they came and they found him and the North Vietnamese were scared of him because they thought he was crazy. James Stockdale did that for one reason. He said, you're not going to be able to use my life for your gain while me and my people are going through suffering and going through the hell of this prisoner of war camp. You're not going to put me and my men through this. I'm going to show the world just a little bit of what you're really doing to me. It was that act that changed the entire uh, war. It turned it completely around. And he came back and he was interviewed and he was asked, how in the world did you endure all those things? And he said this, he said, no matter what happened, I never lost faith in the end of my story. I never lost faith in the end of my story. When I read that, it, it, something in my spirit just came alive. And I'm telling you tonight that I wanted to get to this point just to remind somebody that you and I can never lose faith in the end of our story. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. And you know what? We get in the charismatic church a bad rap quite often saying, you're just trying to build up people's hopes. Yes, we are. Because without hope, there's nothing for your faith to attach to. If you don't hope your family's going to get saved, you, your faith can't be activated and bring them in. If you don't hope that this is going to be a hospital for the hurting, if you don't have that hope, then your faith has no vision to attach to and pull it into your reality. If you don't hope that God's going to bless you and bring you out of debt and bring you out of sickness and bring you out of bondage, if you don't have hope that he's going to do that for you and that it's already been done for you, there's nothing for your faith to do. And that's why James says. Faith without works is dead because when you lose your hope, you lose your faith. And when you lose your faith, you lose your life. Never lose faith in the end of your story. Your circumstance does not write the end of your story. Your bad family and the way you were raised does not write the end of your story. Your denomination does not write the end of your story. The person that abused you did not write the end of your story. The person that went and took your children did not write the end of your story. 
You and I write the end of our story. Why? Because God is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the beginning of the thing. He is the end of the thing. He has written my story just like the woman at the well who came out during the noonday when she was in the most shameful place in her life. The Bible said, Jesus said, I must go to Samaria because there's a life right there that needs to be changed. And when he went there, it says that she got born again, goes out and brings in her entire city to the point Jesus is standing there and says, pray for the harvesters, pray for people to go and bring in the harvest because he said it's white and ripe and ready for harvest. What he saw when he said that were the Samaritans who were coming down to Jesus all dressed in their white linen. You and I have got to look past our little four-walled thing and we've got to begin to see the bigger picture. When you and I see the bigger picture, we'll understand my, my place and what my purpose is in support of the bigger picture. Because I am not called to be Jesus. I am not called to be the Savior of the world. I am not called necessarily to be a prophet to the nations. I'm not called to do that. But I'm called to do exactly what Jim Totten's doing. And without me, things can't happen the way God wants them to happen. That's not an, that's not an arrogant statement. I mean that without you, God can't produce exactly what he wants to produce right now. He needs you. What do you mean he needs you? When you were born, God led captivity captive and gave gifts to you and gave gifts to you. And he wants to use your talents and your gifts and he has anointed you and he has called you and he has blessed you. If you have put something down that he has called you to do, I would encourage you tonight to pick it back up and let God write the end of your story. Stop letting your circumstances write the end of your story. Stop letting people cut you down and say your idea is stupid. You're never going to make it. You are somebody in Christ Jesus. He has raised you up. He has called you by name. He has anointed you. He has blessed you. Your days are prosperous. He knows the end from the beginning. He is the author and the finisher of your faith. I am encouraging you stand up and run your race with endurance and patience knowing that if I keep my focus on him, the one who called me, I'm going to make it through the thing that I've gone through. Guys, things are going to come up in life that are bad. Things are going to come up into life in, in your life that could be better. And they're most of the time, listen to me, guys, you can't change it anyhow. You can't change it anyhow. You can't bring one person back that you've lost. Once you've been abused, you can't go back in the time machine and undo the abuse. But why in the world are you letting the abuse and letting the situation and letting that circumstance and letting that person that abused you who's already passed away, why are you letting that hold you and me in bondage? Why? When whom the Son makes free is free indeed. And if we'll look back to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, and let him be our standard, you will make it out. Never lose faith in the end of your story. Pastor Jamie, I am finished. But I want to encourage you tonight, listen, we all go through stuff. We've all been through stuff. But man, I, I just, I do, I want to encourage you. But listen, you can listen to this, but I can't encourage you. I can't stir you up. I can't make decisions for you, nor can you do that for me. Amen. At some point, we've got to decide, listen, I really, guys, I'm not kidding you. You can say anything you want about me. I don't get offended anymore. I don't. Because I can't let your opinion hold me in prison. 
I can't let your opinion hold me in bondage. I can't let your opinion and me trying to live up to your approval. I don't have to live up to your approval. I live up to his approval. And he approves me because he called me. If he called me, I can do the thing he's called me to do, whether you like it or whether you don't, because he chose to give gifts unto me. He chose to call me. He chose at the beginning and at the end what my life would be. And I choose to let that calling on my life out. I choose to let that gifting on my life flow freely. Stop being offended by everybody. Stop being offended by your situation. Stop being offended by your co-workers, by your family, by the abuser. Listen, Jesus Christ has made a way for you and I to walk in absolute freedom. But we've got to choose to focus ourselves on Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. And if we'll focus back on him, the Bible says this, that is the thing that will make sure you don't faint And you don't grow weary. Why? Because when the catastrophe comes, I'm not doing this for the end result of the catastrophe. I'm not doing this for my glory. I'm not doing this for a pat on the back. I'm not doing this for this church. I'm not doing this for this house. I'm not doing this for my wife and my family. I'm not doing it for an applause. I don't care if you boo me next time I preach. It doesn't bother me. It doesn't. I do this for him and him alone. And if you love it, then encourage me. But if you don't, get out of my way and leave me alone. I've got a race to run. And that should be our attitude with what God has called us to do and who God has called us to be. Stand to your feet this evening. If you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus, listen, he will absolutely mess you up, turn your life upside down, and he will change your life in all the best ways possible. He loves you. He died for you. You don't have to live up to his grace. He came down to your level so that you could be resurrected with him. If you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus, we invite you to come and make him Lord of your life. But if you're here tonight and you'd like us to just agree with you and believe with you for a need or a situation, we're available to do that as well. And all we're going to do is touch and agree that God is who he said he is and that his word is activated in your life. I've got no magic potion. I've got no magic pill. I've got no magic anointing. What I do have is faith that God loves you and wants to change your life. He wants to change your life from level to level and glory to glory. Pastor.